Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Imagine you go into the the marriage counselor and you're like, the marriage is on the rocks, we need help. And they're like, let's get serious. Right. Pull out the budget. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan. I'm joined by my co-host, Rodney Evans, as always. Hey, hey. And we are also joined by Brian Elliott, who's the co-founder of the Future Forum and an SVP at Slack, so kind of a big deal. Hey, hey. Howdy, folks. Yeah. And uh, on today's show, we're going to talk about something pretty different for us. We're going to debunk some workplace myths. But before we get around to the myth busting, those of you listening at home might be realizing that we sound a bit different that this week and you can hear some background noise. And that's because Rodney and I left our respective podcasting closets and took the show on the road. We did. We're it- here. This is our first <laughs> live show ever. So yes. if we really screw it up badly, just like be gentle. And the editors are so good. Best. And it's breezy. Um, and it's 90 degrees. It's and it's about 85% humidity. I That's mean, right. it's perfect, perfect conditions is Ideal. what we've been saying all day. Um, we really want to say thank you so much to Slack for having us. Slack knows that the future of work belongs to everybody. And we are here to rep that today uh, in a conversation with you all about how to make work better. So let's get into it. Absolutely. I feel, uh, I don't know how many myths we're going to get through. Usually when we do an AMA show, we get about one question done. We did uh-huh. three last time. We and did it was three a record. questions, so that felt pretty good. Yeah. In, in 45 uh, minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. pretty nuts. Yeah. Um, cool. We start every episode of Brave New Work off with a practice, Rodney. We do. And what is that practice? The practice is a check-in round. Who here knows about check-in rounds? Yes. Y'all, for the people listening at home, we have three fans. And they're all familiar with this practice. And I couldn't be more delighted about it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So we start every meeting, but also every podcast with a check-in round for a few reasons that I will reiterate today. One is to get us present. Two is to get to know each other better. Yes. Three is to have equal share of voice, which is very important for the democratization of conversations. And four is to start things on time so that we don't <laughs> spend a lot of minutes talking to people about weather while we wait for the latecomers to show. So today will be no different. We will do a check-in round. The check-in round question, given where we are and in the theme of keeping Austin weird, is this one. Do you believe in ghosts or aliens or both? <laughs> Tell me about it, Aaron. Ghosts or oh. aliens. All right. So I'm I'm a hard yes on aliens because there are so many stars in the sky. And I am a no on ghosts except Come for the fact, hey, you man. get your chance. Oh. You'll get your chance. <laughs> <laughs> I am a no on ghost except for the fact that I think maybe there's some interdimensional leakage happening. So maybe it's you from another dimension in the block universe 
haunting yourself. Is she doing a good job on this recording? It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian, what about you? Oh my God. Yes on aliens. Uh, they got to be around someplace. Yeah. I think most of the stuff that we shot down over Canada recently was more like the ham radio balloon that yeah. was an alien. But, you know, someplace in the universe they have to exist. Ghosts, I'm going to say yes. There's just weird shit that happens every once in a while in uh-huh. places that you can't quite account for. That cold, chill feeling you've got in the weird house. Yeah. That, you know, I, let's put it this way. I must believe it in enough that every once in a while I get a little freaked out. You're feeling the atmosphere. And uh-huh. this is why Brian is the new co-host of Brave New Work. <laughs> Uh-oh. There's <laughs> the announcement. I obviously believe in ghosts. There's a ghost that lives in my lake house and I communicate with him regularly. Uh, I've done. I I invited him to leave and he didn't, and so now we just chill. I'm pretty sure he lived there. What, does he does he uh, do anything fun? Uh, does he, do he sits on my chest in the night, which isn't that fun. That's not so fun. Uh, but he makes the trees make sounds. Sounds like a cat. So don't go visit the lake house with Rodney. Don't or do or if do. you like ghosts. Yeah. All right. So All right. that's that's a check that's in. That's a check in. Well we done, it. I think, uh, for the Austin edition. All right. All right. I'm going to break into workplace myths. So there are. There have got to be thousands of, of myths about work right now that are holding us back. But today we picked five juicy ones to, to crack into with you all. And the first one is, and I'm going to throw this to you, Brian, right out of the gate. Oh, good. The person who is always busy is the person who is most productive. We have this myth that like, if you're busy and you're there until nine, you're the good employee. And oh, if you leave yeah. at five, you're, you're shit. So break it down. Presenteeism and hustle culture. Here yeah. we go. Let's get at it. <laughs> so here's the trick. I was really, really, really good at hustle culture. Yeah. And early in my, on in my career as a consultant, it's the, you know, stay up, show up all night, be available all the time and, and make it happen. And even now we're still seeing this, whether it's like, hey, Johnny shows up early and Johnny stays late. So therefore Johnny deserves a promotion. Right, right. Or all the stuff around like, how many lines of code has someone written? Oh, yeah. Or how That's long is the green uh, you know, a notification button on during the day? <laughs> it's those, those are Yeah, it's Slack. <laughs> Th- those are not good measures of whether or not you're doing the thing you want to do as an organization, which is deliver outcomes. Right. So one of the things we talk about a lot is the training and the work that goes into helping people focus on what are the outcomes for their business. And this is really important for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just good management, right? Mm-hmm. You, If you want to drive outcomes, that's what we want to focus on, not showing up. But the other is um, we do this future forum pulse every quarter past two and a half years now, 10,000 desk workers, people who can take a laptop home with them to do work. Um, And what it showed in the most recent version was burnout at an all time high. Yeah. So 42% of the global desk workforce is burnt out at work. Post pandemic, you'd think this would be getting better, but I think it's the combination of the pressures that people are feeling from an economic perspective together with a little bit more focus on presenteeism and hustle culture that's really making people a little bit crazy. And it's not good for business either, because if you're burned out at work, you're 23% less productive. It's having the exact opposite impact that you want it to have by saying to people, show up early, stay late. I love that you have all the stats. Yeah, they're just I'm like, a, I'm right, a stat, they're like, right there. Look, the notes. They're uh, right there. He doesn't need notes. He's a human calculator. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> really? This show should be called I Hate It. Uh-huh. Um, I hate it. Here's what I hate almost as much as mugs that say live, laugh, love. (laughs) Mugs that say rise and grind. Yeah. Let's not. Let's not rise and grind. Let's thoughtfully enter our day and do the deep knowledge work that we're paid for and have the kind of impact that we're trying to have rather than doing this performative stuff that just like burns out our adrenals and makes us feel like we're busy and valuable and engaged and important and ultimately doesn't really add up to that much for our companies, but more importantly, in terms of our lives and actually feeling like we're spending our time in a way that's valuable. Um, And like, this is one of the reasons that I'm 
mostly saying off Twitter these days is yeah. because of how glorified hustle culture is and how Especially many people right yeah, are just talking to each other about like, you know, if if my new employee isn't in the office doing X, Y, and Z, then how can I know or how can I trust? Or, yeah, bro. And it's just yeah. like, it's, yeah. it's, it's all of that thing and I could do without <laughs> all of it, frankly. Painful. Yeah, let, so let's not. I do feel like the pattern is something like if I have a, a blind spot over here, then a myth or a pattern evolves over here. And so as the leader, it's like, since I don't actually know what our outcomes are, I'm just going to yeah. do surveillance management yeah. yep. and just That's be right. like, if everybody's here, then something's happening. Yeah. And as opposed to like, actually, where are we going and what's happening? So, I, yeah, I feel I'm with you on that. It, it takes work yeah. I, and a little bit of training. Exactly. A, little a little bit of training. I also think Maybe it, some therapy. it begs the question. Yeah. I do feel like part of hustle culture is from managers and leaders, particularly a desire to have employees whose first priority is work. Yeah. yeah. And I have real questions about that as an identity, because like yeah. I love my job profoundly it is a huge part of who i am and a huge part of what i identify with and mm -hmm. i would be deeply sus of anyone who's like this is my whole right. personality right and so the fact that we are basically rewarding that behavior through all of the signaling that we're talking about is uh scary yeah it's scary for the culture yep yeah. absolutely all right myth number two let's do it i'm so excited to talk about this it is compensation mm. is the most yeah. important thing when picking a new role so I'm going to start by saying I just went to a retreat recently. It was an all-women retreat, and there were a lot of very successful women there. And I was having conversations with a couple of them over dinners who are in career transitions. And the conversation always started with the number. Yeah. The number, like evaluating first based on the number, then based on the company, then based on the work, then based on everything else. And I was just like, wow, these are wildly successful people who have a deeply flawed understanding of how life works. <laughs> and so I want to like, I want to completely boggle tournament compensation. That's, that's what, great. What say you, Brian? So here's what's wild. I'll give you the stats first, then my own story. If you look at our research, what people rate as most important in driving their satisfaction at work is compensation number one, flexibility yep. number two. Is that right? It, it does, wow. but let's go deeper. Lauren Rubin, one of the researchers on the team, actually dug into it and said, let's look at people who recently switched a job. Okay. And let's take it a little bit in a different place. And let's ask them, what was the trigger that got you to switch jobs? Yeah. And number one, career growth. Uh -huh. Right? I'm stymied. I'm not growing. I'm not learning any longer. The, the other one was if you cut people who, only, who had a lot of flexibility at work and that was being taken away... Flexibility goes to number one, right? right? You're screwing with my life. You're basically <laughs> right. messing with my ability to live a decent life uh, yeah. on top of this. And so those two factors showed up really strongly. For myself, I've done this thing that's, um, turns out, I found out from uh, Lauren, it wasn't Sheryl Sandberg that had the uh, the monkey bars uh, in the jungle gym versus career, you know, it's not a ladder, it's right. monkey bars. I've done this like five times myself. So CEO of a startup company, went to Google, less comp. Went from managing 350 people to two, uh -huh. one of whom yeah. quit on the first day. We won't go into that today. <laughs> uh, but then grew and learned a ton at Google. Jumped from Google where I had about 1,000 people working for me by the end to Slack, which has been fantastic. But each time it was because I got a different opportunity, something new. And it wasn't the hierarchical, like I got more compensation or a bigger team. It was, I'm kind of getting bored. I don't feel like I'm learning anything any longer. Yeah. And I want to stretch myself. And I want to be with people that I want to be with. Yeah, that's the other one we skipped. I feel like, and I'm I'm suspect of a lot of the other trappings that kind of go around this, like title. Like yeah. is title totally. just a proxy for money? 
Yes. Is career growth just a proxy for money? Can be. Like when people talk eh. about that I stuff. I mean, they're what all is, just proxies for ego. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, and that's, I think that's exactly it, which is like when you start to look at the pattern, and this is something I've been playing with a lot lately, you and I've been talking about it, but like a lot of the pattern is just more. Yeah. How yeah. do I get more? Yeah. More people working for me, more, more span of control, more title, more money, more, 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 as opposed to like better. Yeah. You know, what's a better fit for me? What's a better balance? What feels more authentic to me? What feels enlivening? So yeah. it, it's part of the broader culture, I think, of work, which is even the business itself is focused on more. Yeah. And so is everybody inside it. Yeah. yeah. And since it's easy for me to just talk about things I hate without giving <laughs> solutions, I'm going to. Uh, here's how I've been thinking about this in conversations I'm having with friends mm. over beers who are looking for jobs. I'm like, don't worry about what you made before. Don't worry about what other people make. Think about the life that you want to have right. and what it costs you. Mm. Like, I love money. I mean, so, so <laughs> much. Does. I love money so much. And also, more every year, more than this other person, more than my last job is a really stupid measure of money. Like, money is freedom and money is nice things and money is lots of things. But just more money is nothing. Yeah. So I've been encouraging people to think about what the life is that they want to have and what it would take to afford that life mm. and try to shut out some of the other noise and like the hedonistic treadmill vibe that comes with comp and title. That's awesome. Have you guys um, go on YouTube if you want watch Clay Christensen's How Will You Measure Your Life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. His TED talk on that. Parts of it haven't aged terribly well, but it's it's actually really great overall because what it says at the end of it is, look. All of the material trappings, all of the stuff that people count in terms of hierarchy, title, compensation, whether you get the private jet or not, et cetera, is not the kind of thing that you sit there later in life and go, I wish I'd had more of that. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. What you miss is the time with the kids, the time with friends, the time with family and all the interactions. And at the end of the day, that's actually how you're going to probably measure it yourself as well. Yeah. So start doing it now. That tracks, actually. I was listening to a podcast the other day and the, the guest had been working, the guest was actually a celebrity actress and she'd been working in hospice care. And oh, wow. she was like, all they talk about is people I've loved, friends, and travel. That's amazing. It's all the people talk about. And it's yep. like, there's got to be a clue in there somewhere about how to think about it. All right, should we shift gears to three? Let's do it. Are you ready? Let's do all it. All right, let's see here. Uh, myth number three, all of this future of work talk is only for leaders. And if you aren't at the top, there's nothing you can do to make changes at work. This is an attitude we run into a lot in our day jobs where you yep. get with a group and they're like, we don't have the power to change anything. Yep. And then you kind of scratch under the surface and find out more. So, Rodney, why don't you break that myth down a little bit? Okay. No one cares what you do at work. <laughs> That's the thing. It's this, it, this took me a really long time to learn because our systems are set up in an explicit way to make us feel like we're being surveilled. But yeah. actually... No one really cares how you organize your day, what your team meetings are like, what your working agreements are, et cetera, et cetera. They if barely they, know their own. They, they yeah. don't have any. <laughs> they don't have any clarified with anybody else. So I, I think we impose a lot of constraints on ourselves at work around things that are very likely to be unnoticed by other people. Uh -huh. So we sort of like coined this term in some research that we were doing recently of the twilight zone. And the twilight zone is like a layer of the ocean that is just below where the sun reaches. Yeah. And I think about the way that a team works and the way that you are at work as mostly being stuff in the twilight zone. Like there's stuff at the surface that the sun touches that's like, 
the remote work policy and the vacation policy and the, the compensation structure. And then there's the giant twilight <laughs> zone that's like, choose your own adventure. Nobody can see you. And that's where I want individuals and teams to really access the agency that they have, because I just find that mostly we impose constraints on ourselves because we're interpreting what's coming from above versus clarifying actually how much space we have to do whatever we want. And um, and usually what I find is that as individuals and teams start experimenting with different meeting types, different agreement making, different structuring their own workflows, they like increase their courage as they go and have success. Yeah. Brian, what do you think? So I agree with all that. I think what I hear a lot from uh, people that are sort of mid to senior level in an organization is, yeah, but the broader organization won't let us do that. And uh, that usually has something to do with meetings and time and schedules, right? Totally. Like you're, bo you're booking me all times, day and night. <laughs> when we look at the research, um, what we see is executives actually do have more flexibility. So there is a little bit of this to the leaders. Like executives have three times more flexibility in their work schedules. They, they report it three times higher than their middle managers do. Okay. That's not great. So, but what can you do at a team level? All kinds of stuff. Within our own team, we set up our own team agreement around things like core collaboration hours. So 9 a.m. until 1 o'clock on the Pacific Coast time is the time for our meetings, one-on-ones, cross-team meetings, all that. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes yep. talking to your research partners, your comms partners, and saying, hey, you just put that on, that weekly um, review session on for 3 o'clock on Wednesdays. That's 6 o'clock for Taryn and Anna on the East Coast. Pull it back in. But if you put the work against it, then it can go a really long way. And the other thing is like finding ways to experiment and iterate on stuff like that can grow to other teams. So Slack started doing the set of practices around what we now call maker weeks in our product design and engineering team in August of 2020. And the first time we did it, uh, maker week is take one week and cancel all your recurring meetings. Yeah. Just kill them all off and give yourself a break and use a little bit of that time back to, to recuperate. In August of 2020, everybody was so burned out with so many meetings, they said, we need a break. That worked so well that they started doing it once a quarter. Okay. Then it became twice a quarter. <laughs> then the marketing team picked it up. But what happened along the way was we then said, hey, sales and customer success team, we want you guys doing this too. But we had to actually invest with them on how do you turn some of the meetings that you've got into more asynchronous ways of working? Exactly. So the product teams easily figured out how to do a stand-up asynchronously, right? Yeah. Wasn't that hard. For sales teams, though, figuring out how do you run the weekly pipeline review asynchronously? Easy enough if you sit there and say, so you got to have the data updated by Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning. And by 5 o'clock, what I need is in this channel, in this thread, give me all your status updates. By the way, you can do it in text or you can record a short video clip of yourself and do it. But it takes that kind of effort and customization. Yeah. And if someone in your organization is trying, learn from them and then take it further. Yeah, it is funny you brought up meetings because I think meetings are most of the day for most people and they're the place to Ronnie's point where a lot of what goes on in them is in the twilight zone and that's why we often start there because at yeah. the end of the day it's like a microcosm of the organization and it's happening five hours a day six hours a day seven hours a day in some cases sometimes more and so you can actually go there and start to and start to dismantle often without too much support or or air cover absolutely and I'm glad that you brought up the asynchrony piece because I think right now what's happening is we all went to remote during the pandemic and it was like, oh, doing remote work just means doing everything on Zoom. Yeah. And then to your point about burnout earlier, everybody did so much of that and just the tax of that time on all of our emotional state was so much that now we're all really worn out and we're and we're realizing it can't just be that we try to recreate what we did in the office eight hours a day on Zoom. Right. We need to actually re-engineer how things get done. And that's where automation comes in. And that's where thinking about what we can 
off-put to something asynchronous goes in, and even um, a place where AI starts to play. Because, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had at least two occasions in the last couple months where a meeting, the need for a meeting was eradicated by just asking ChatGPT, <laughs> what does it do? And I think, isn't, I think Slack's great. playing with AI now too, right? We are. We are. The, yeah. open, the OpenAI team built a ChatGPT chat app so for there you Slack. Go. I mean, that's, that's, awesome. that's going to change things. Think about thread summarizations, right? Yeah. Or think about the, the kickstart on that memo that you need to write for an executive at some outside company. Oh, like, yeah. give me the research and give me the, give me the 100 word version. Give me the 50 word version. Sweet. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. The other thing that both of your comments sparked for me is just um, a lot of this, a lot of these ways of working that have gotten like very famous, like no meeting Mondays or standups <laughs> yeah. or, you know, pick pick your mythology from business book and insert it here. Like they started somewhere. They yep, started right. with some experiment somewhere. And now it feels like those things that are like best practice and tested are really easy to adopt. But like we have to keep making up new ones to serve the environment. We can't just rely on the experiments that were conducted 10 years ago and are now acceptable to leaders in right. order to right. do this. Right. The um, I wish people spent more time talking about this and worried about it, to be honest. Right. So much of the conversation these days is still three years later. How many days a week somebody needs to be in the office? Oh, totally. Right, all the Wild. time and energy we're spending on that. Oh, like it's we, a we fundamental know physics question or something. It's horrible. We we spend so much time debating that. We see in our research if you have location flexibility, on average, people are about eight percent more productive, which is good. It's basically saving you about three hours a week, which is half the commute. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that yeah, you yeah, get yeah. back to the organization. Schedule flexibility. Putting some container around that nine to five or worse, eight until eight, you know, the, where we can turn your, your calendar into all meetings or Swiss cheese, where you have no two-hour blocks to get work done is a killer. If you give people limits and schedule flexibility, less than nine to five being available for meetings, 39% boost to productivity. Yeah. And the other thing is executives should agree. And in fact, they do. We just had this data that we released this week. Um, almost executives, when you ask them, do you think there's waste in meetings in your organization? The average number that execs say are wasteful is 46% of Sweet. meetings. Half of them. Half. Nearly half of all meetings are That's waste. That's wild. Which is, which is not a good use of your time. No. So let's focus there instead. Leverage the experimentation frameworks. Learn from what other people have done. And do more asynchronously as well as have the time together you need with your team for relationship building. Totally. I'm glad that you said productivity too. Because we were talking a little bit in, in prep for this podcast about the fact that like Sometimes productivity means outcomes get done, but sometimes the measure of productivity is actually just more hamster wheel treadmill measurement. Yeah. Where it's like, well, when you say productivity, what do you mean? Yeah. You know, <laughs> do you mean lines of code or do you mean we're actually shipping the product customers want? Yeah. And, and so I think when someone says that at work, taking a closer look and being like, oh, what do you mean when you say we're more productive if we come to the office? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what does that actually look like? I also just think this we haven't yet talked about anything in terms of like Jedi in this conversation. Yeah. I also think that you know, fundamentally, the way that most workplaces are designed is for one particular kind of person to what be comfortable. What do they look like, Rodney? I don't know, Aaron. You? <laughs> do they have a corner <laughs> office? Um, yeah, they, they love it. They love managing by walking around, it turns out. Um, but even in terms of like cognitive diversity and learning style and work yep. type, um, regardless of people who have different levels of commitment and caretaking and commute, et cetera, like the flexibility that we need um, needs to be more available. And I think I think it is generally easier for leaders to say, 
We will design the experiments. We will find what the next big unlock is in terms of ways of working. And usually those are the same people who don't need the level of flexibility that yeah. those who work for them do, which is kind of nonsense. So I'm like, what I want to see is the authority and the agency to do the things that you're both talking about for the people who actually need it, which right. is usually not the top of the house because those are the people who have help at home, who can take a Friday off whenever they want to without checking with anyone, right. who can work remotely without approval for anybody. Like, they are not the ones who need to have the room for experimentation. It's everybody else who has actual constraint outside of work. And that's that's all, I also think it's part of what's actually driving some of this too is we talk with a lot of people and what you hear from executives sometimes is, I don't feel like I have my finger on the pulse of the organization. Right, right, right. right. And there's this nervousness that's showing up. It is up. like that. I did that. It's, it's just like, like that. This. They do this. Yeah. You've seen this they like a hundred bazillion times. Everybody's yeah, touching right. their arm. And what's happening is executives as they started coming back in and as the economy starts tightening, when you went back like 2008, 2009, when all that was happening, everybody assumed the office was the place it all happened. So you went in and you kind of heard the buzz and you heard the conversations. If executives are coming back now and the office is quieter and they're not hearing the hum and the buzz, then they're feeling like they don't have their finger on the pulse. But the other thing that's happened that we run into all the time as Slack in particular is executives themselves often sit there and say, well, look, Slack's great for the team. It's wonderful. Yes, it makes them more productive and they have a great time with it, but it's not for me. I'm it's over here in email, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, find me over here in email, which is which is always lovely. And the challenge then is they're missing the conversation. They're missing the buzz because it is still happening. Yeah. The team that's planning the next big account close, the team that's actually sitting there with the, the product launch, they're all having the conversations. So they're just having them digitally. But two, digital, two generations of digital natives in the workforce versus, sorry, I can, this is a podcast. I'm 55. I'll say it out loud. <laughs> I'm not a digital native. It takes time, education, and support for executives to learn and understand how to get in there and use these tools effectively and Absolutely. have fun in them. Absolutely. Absolutely. You ready for another myth? I kind of am. Okay, then. Yeah. Um, okay, this one is going to be juicy. I'm very excited to talk about this. I want to talk about feelings at work. Because there is a myth that is floating around. It's on Twitter a lot. It's the, it's the rise and grind people who also love yeah. this one, uh, which is we should leave feelings at the door and they don't have a place at work. Incidentally, I also feel like the same executives who uh, read something about people bringing their whole selves to work also tell me about no feelings at work. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. tell me how you're splitting the humans then. This is interesting <laughs> to me. So, Brian, why don't you start us off? What yeah. do you think about feelings so, at work? What are your feelings on feelings? Yeah, what are, what are your my feelings, feelings on, on feelings? feelings? Again, a uh, former early days consultant who was also told the same thing, hustle culture. Sure. And check your feelings at the door, right? Like, just grind it out. I may have had a manager once upon a time. God, I'm getting really personal on this one. I got divorced early on. And I had a manager say, I know you're going through a divorce, but that didn't excuse your performance on this project. Wow. wow. So yeah. that's about as extreme yes. as it gets, right? That's pretty like, bad. That's, yeah, I, we don't talk any longer. We're not good friends. Um, but I think part of the challenge is how do you help people understand that there are boundaries also, right? So our own team has a norm around the fact that we want people to have vulnerabilities with boundaries, right? It's really important that as a team, we support each other. We encourage each other. We're there for each other. We're giving other, each other space when we need a break or when something else is going on that's going wrong in your life. And that we're recognizing those challenges in you. But at the end of the day, we're also, we're not really a family and we're not your therapist. Sure, sure. So like, how do you help people find those boundary conditions between these? And when you talk to executives, I've found sometimes it's helpful to say, look, bring your whole self to work doesn't mean that you want to turn your managers into therapists, but it does mean that you got to recognize the fact that people have lives and their lives have challenges in them and helping them deal with that is important. 
The other thing that really happens is helping people express emotion at work really matters. Emojis are a great way to express an Love emotion, emojis. right? <laughs> Knowing and tracking whether or not the message that you put in an announcements channel for a new product launch got thousands of people excited internally versus only 10 tells you something. Sure. Oh, yeah. That is signal within your organization about what's going on. And those sort of emotional signals are also really valuable, even from a business perspective. I'm totally unqualified to talk about this. <laughs> and Come yet on, you Aaron. will. <laughs> I'll play jazz. Do it. You have feelings at work. I do. You I have, have lots a lot of feelings. feelings about I have a lot this. of feelings at work. There's yeah. there's stuff down with some Irish background. Um, no, I think the the no place at work thing is connected to professionalism. Yeah. And yeah. I think the really insidious way that this developed over the course of the last like 100, 200 years was what does it mean to be a professional? And to be yeah. a professional means that you always have your stuff together. You're always ready. You have poise. You have confidence. You know, you're, you know what you're doing. And you're not derailed. You're not able to be put off, put off guard or off track. You're reliable and consistent. And so much of modern management is about can I make the yeah. world reliable and consistent so that we hit earnings, so that we grow consistently, so that performance is a given. And this becomes this impediment to that when you're like, oh, but the problem is the whole machine is not a machine. Yeah. It's right. a garden full of humans, and they're not reliable and consistent. So what are we going to do about that? Well, what we'll do is we'll brainwash them for many generations to be like, when you step through this door, you need to don a different identity, and that identity is a mask. Yeah. And the mask doesn't have emotions. It just is productive. <laughs> and so I think that we, we've subscribed to that as a societal level, and then to a certain degree, we've also subscribed to that in different subcultures within, within our society. And, and now it's like, getting away from that is really, really hard because yeah. even if one group or one individual has moved beyond that, maybe not everybody on the team has, people are uncomfortable. Leaders often haven't moved past it because yeah. they're measured on outcomes. So I think it's a really thorny puzzle. And the question is like, what, you know, which Jenga pieces do we have to pull out to actually make room for that stuff? I'm going to come to back to you both on resources for this, <laughs> like what, what should be done at work. But um, for research I was doing a long time ago, I read this thing that basically said all metrics at work are a proxy for emotional conversation. <laughs> and that shit blew my mind. Does that have a name? That's great. <laughs> right? I don't know who said that. that. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> no credit given. But if you think about being in any kind of meeting where like we're looking at our sales number, or we're looking at the nine box grid, or we're looking at the stock price or whatever. There is someone in that room who is having an emotional reaction to that number. And instead of the conversation being about the feeling, the feeling yeah. of doing a good job, the feeling of being valued, the feeling of belonging, the feeling of engagement, we are going to argue about whether we bumped the stock yeah. price in the right day of the week. That's bananas. Like that is such a huge time suck. And and so it's all but like to your point about the mask, it's all part of this theater that we do where yeah. we go to work. And we don't have feelings. And instead, we have numbers. And, <laughs> and, and and I just think I think it's wrong on a lot of levels. I think it's bad for society. But mostly, I think it's a huge waste of time. Right. It's a huge waste of time for me to get the third follow-up email about not sending a signature when what someone actually wants is my care and attention. Yeah. What they actually want is for me to recognize that they're a person and yeah. that I'm ignoring them and that it is making them sad. And like, that's a much faster conversation than them agonizing over how to make a request of me in business speak. So we just like, we waste a phenomenal amount of time on this because we don't have the language to use to access our own feelings and make requests well. What's up, guys? That's and then also, 
um, because we've been taught not to. And yeah. incidentally, I went to I went to work the day after my dad died. Oh God! True story. It did, and and I, this is not this is not a terribly sad story. But what it is is so socialized to not even think that was weird. Right. Yeah. Like, and no one said like, "Babe, should you maybe not be maybe here?" Right. Not, yeah. No, they were just like, "TikTok, it's comp season. Way to get it. We got it. <laughs> Good Wrap grief. It up. I mean, that's. I feel like that stuff happens all the time. That's a horror show. And we just like. Uh, completely suppress our human experience so that we can show up at work and be automatons. I like what you said about like the underlying needs thing because I hadn't thought about that before but there's there's talk in the therapy space about how everything's about belonging and acceptance and it feels like yeah the signature is just like oh are we do you accept me? Are we doing this? Do we belong? Are we together? Am I part of the group or the out group? And and it's just it permeates everything and the thing I was going to say to your point about time waste is What's really wild about it to me is not only does it waste time and not only is it kind of adding this layer, but you also get all this leakage to your point mm. where you can see like if you just pay attention, yeah. you can see emotional leakage everywhere. But that is just like that's what makes everything so fraught is that you're trying to navigate around that like mm, my boss seems irritated. I'm going to try to like satisfy that with more productivity yeah. instead of actually having the conversation we need to have about whether I'm a fit here or not. Yeah. yeah. I that- never want to hear someone again say, how should I message this? <laughs> oh, God. Like, let's just not do that. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. as it turns out, we, we are this? all humans talking to human beings. And uh, we it shouldn't take the amount of time and like cogitation that it takes to like really get it right and to be so neutral and to like strip out so much of the humanness of work that we can send a, a message to our boss. There aren't there aren't really good parts about a pandemic, but if there was one of the silver linings, it was a lot of executives became a lot more vulnerable, right? Mm. You got a lot more visibility into each other's houses. The first um, all hands totally. Slack had in like whatever that was, actually almost exactly this time, twenty twenty, was um, you know the six senior executives each going one at a time for two minutes, literally. What do you you know what are your one two three in your organization yeah, yeah, yeah. to keep people focused? And Julie, our chief marketing officer, sat there, and all of a sudden, her two daughters dive bombed her. Nice. And the outpouring of love, especially from uh, working moms in the organization, was fantastic because it was a recognition that she was going through this too. She may have set the kids up for it, (laughs) uh, but it was really good in terms of helping that out. And we've seen this time and time again. And now there's a little bit of like, okay, that was because there was a pandemic. We don't need to be vulnerable any longer. Yep. But we know that transparency and trust are really essential. We even see this in our data. If someone doesn't believe their leadership's being transparent with them, they are 2.3 times more likely to be headed out the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's understandable, right? It also gets at some of the stuff you guys are talking about, which is if I don't believe, if I don't think you trust me, then I'm not going to trust you either. I'm going to spend a lot of time and energy guessing what's going on in your head totally. or what you're really planning. So much. And none of that is productive. All of that is waste. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about in the feelings category <laughs> is the slippery slope myth, which is one of my least yes. favorite conversations to have. So I feel like a lot of times when I start working with teams and we start making spaces for things like even just check-in rounds, just like just a scooch of humanity in the day, um, there is often, you know, there's discomfort in some people. And then that discomfort translates to worst case scenario, this becomes like a therapy circle and not a workplace. We never get anything done again. And like Rodney... The number of times that someone has said, like, Rodney opened this can of worms. And I'm like, bro, 
<laughs> First of all, it's not a can of worms. It's your employee's literal emotional experience. So yeah. maybe calm down. And second of all, if it feels like a can of worms, if it feels like because we acknowledged some emotion or some conflict or some difficulty at work, yeah. that it has begotten us a bunch more of that. That's just signal that there's a bunch of unprocessed shit in your team. Yep. That's not a signal that you're going to be in that loop forever. It's a signal that you did a really bad job. And now that there's even a little bit of oxygen for that fire, it's going to burn. Yep. The truth is, if we put the right structures in place, it will burn itself out. Because we will start to learn how to deal with conflict before it gets really toxic. We will start to learn to have more transparent conversations so it isn't just like leaking all over into the organization. Yeah. But it but but I feel like leaders will come to those conversations unskilled yeah. and then their experiences, oh, this is messy. And my sense is it's just gonna get messier from here. And I'm like, only if you're doing it badly. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing is, if you actually listen to people, they will tell you. They will. If you listen Turns to them. Turns out. Yeah. I've done this twice now where I've inherited a team or a product where when I got handed it, it was like, this product has some problems, uh -huh. right? It's got some challenges. It's not heading the right direction. The growth's not what we want it to be, all that. And you get in and you start talking to the team. You start figuring out and you go, wait, it doesn't have, we don't have a product problem. We have a culture problem. Sure. sure. Because these people are not getting along with these people. These po folks aren't talking. No one's listening to the folks over here that actually have a different idea and a solution. Why aren't they listening to them? Because they've never voiced it. Why haven't they ever ever voiced it? Because they don't feel like they, their their word is worth anything to it because they're too young, because they're a woman, because they're a different color than the majority of the group, or just because everybody else is talking over them all the time. Yeah. So getting in and understanding where the rhythms, habits, and cultural aspects of what's going on within any business are really the unlock. It's it's sort of back to culture eat strategy for breakfast, right? Totally. Feelings are like a credit card bill that you just don't want to look oh. at because you're like, oh, if I open that envelope, <laughs> it's going to ruin everything. But it's there. It's compounding to yeah. your point. And you can pay it down. Yeah. But it, it's as, how big's the debt, you know, and how long has it gone unaddressed, uh, which I think is really scary. The only other thing I wanted to add about feelings, and this is a little bit of a of a cynical counterpoint to what you were saying, Brian, during the pandemic, there was a lot of, of authenticity and a lot of openness and a lot of like seeing the other side, seeing behind the mask. Yeah. But wildly, post-pandemic, we've yeah. seen this yeah. snapback to command and control oh, yeah. where it's like, all right, it's wartime now. The economy yeah, is down. Exactly. Funding's down. SVB is going under. We got we to gotta man the ship and get on the guns. And that means no feelings. Eh? That's right. And it right. means productivity at all costs. And we're going to just, you know, make all the tough calls. Yeah. And I feel like that is that's the exact wrong direction at, the, at this time that's sort of electrically charged for it. Yeah, it's back to that uh, only I can fix it uh, mentality too yeah. in some places. And that's that's a recipe for disaster over some period of time, obviously. There's, there's nobody that I'm sorry at the end of the day is that sharp on everything <laughs> to be able to do that. Totally. So how are you going to succeed? You've got to actually be willing to say, look, this is one of the things I try to coach leaders on. You've got to say, here's the mountain we're going to climb. Here's the big aspirational goals. Here's why our purpose matters. Here's what we mean to our customers. But at the same time, how are we going to get to the top of that mountain? I don't have all the answers. Uh -huh. I need your help, right? I have to admit that I don't have all the answers, and I got, I got to be willing to be vulnerable about that in order to engage you because command and control isn't going to work in this complex, creative, global economy that we're working in today. Yeah. Also, like... <laughs> The command and control, I feel like the vibe of command and control is like, okay, now let's really get serious. And I'm yeah. like, what's more serious than people being able to deal with the most challenging conflict in a system? 
that it like when you inherit a product issue, when you inherit yeah. a transformation issue, when you inherit a strategy issue, there is always a conflict underneath yes. it. There is always an unprocessed mm-hmm. conflict. So when people say like, let's get really serious about these growth numbers, I'm like, show me the cross-functional team that hates each other. And I yes. will talk to you about yes. these growth numbers because <laughs> that's what's going on for real, for real. The people that don't talk to each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, The people who are meant to be collaborating and haven't spoken in six months. Um, I Because this is the Future of Work podcast, I'm also just going to like, say, I think that every company should be making coaching and or therapy accessible to all employees. I think we should have these providers on staff. I think that there should be policies. If people don't want to go through official channels because of privacy, there should be, you know, a spending limit underneath which any employee can access the help that they need. Because again, to the point of leaders absolutely are unequipped to do this. They should not be yeah. administering therapy because they don't know how. And <laughs> that's it. a real conflict of interest, you know, <laughs> when you're also responsible for someone's incentive. But, but, but it is such an important part of work right now. We are knowledge workers and like knowledge worker is head and heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we tend to put a lot of money aside to go to like the bullshit you know, Ivy League week long MBA leadership, blah, blah, that costs 20 grand. But we can't find $200 a week for someone to access therapy who's in crisis at work. That seems off to me. That you just know, seems like wildly off. There was applause in the audience, and it was probably my team who needs therapy if I'm working with me. <laughs> yeah, Brian's are. team. Let's get you all a Way therapist. Yep. Um, but that, the other word you used there was coaching, too. And a lot of executives think that they are good as coaches. And you asked the question so totally. when you're coaching, how often do you um, give people suggestions of what you think the right answer might be? And the answer is, uh, I guess I do that. I'm like, yeah, that's not coaching. Yeah, that's not right. I'm, I'm not good at that either. I'm not good at coaching. I know the difference between the two. Yeah. But finding ways to help people come to the right answer themselves is really hugely valuable. So that way you don't have to be the ones giving them all the answers. That's the thing. I'm so glad you dropped that gauntlet, Rodney, because it Thanks. feels like that is the move that's needed. And I was thinking of the hilarious metaphor when you were saying like, the serious part. Like Imagine serious. you go into the, the marriage counselor and you're like, the marriage is on the rocks. We need help. And they're like, let's get serious. Right. Pull out the budget. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's not how you do it. That's right. Not That's how you not. Do it. Those are not the moves. So I like the idea of reshaping like what is serious. And again, to the same point, God, I'm really like on a soapbox today. We haven't <laughs> done this in a minute. So I've got a lot sorted out. It's all built up. Uh, to the point we were making earlier about flexibility, you know, I've been an executive coach in my life. It does tend to be the people with the most privilege who also have access to those kinds of resources. For sure. And like, that's kind of wild because, again, not that they don't need it. I, you know, I think everybody should be in therapy. But I just, again, it it bifurcates these systems in a way that I find to be deeply unhelpful. Absolutely. It's compounding the problem. Exactly. Uh, Should we do the last one? Sure. Myth number five. Your island, man. All right. This is uh, this one was controversial even when we were talking about how to include it and whether it's interesting or not. This, this myth is you can't build culture if you're not in person and at the office together. And the conversation out in the wild is like, we got to bring everybody back to the office. And often it's, it's categorized as back to work. Yeah. As if we oh, weren't God, working yeah. before. Bark. Which is just annoying to people. Yeah. So anno- it's annoying to me right now. It's and annoying it's not even all happening. the time. <laughs> so, so I guess the question is, can you build culture remotely? Yeah. What is the role of in person? And how do you, how do you parse that, Brian? So first off, like we wrestled this ourselves with Slack's executive team back in 2021. The phrase we came back with, because we had a pretty broad range of opinions, was digital first doesn't mean never in person. There Mm -hmm. actually is an essential ingredient of getting people together in person. My own team does at least once a quarter. We find a way to do it. 
um, because that time together that's much more about socialization and meals together and having fun together is really important. But every day that you work together, whether it's you're together in the office or you're remote, you're doing things that actually exhibit culture, right? Yeah. The behaviors you've got, we kick off every meeting on Monday morning, thank you very much, with an icebreaker. <laughs> it's our check-in question, right? So it might be, I think the longest we ever met went was 20 minutes debating um, where do people stand on pumpkin spice? Nice. Uh, pumpkin spice lattes. That's is a it a thing? Is it not a it's thing? A hard so no. it, yeah, it's hard now. <laughs> I, I learned that it's actually not pumpkin in it. It's just all the I spices. I know, it's nutmeg uh, and cloves and yeah. something else you have in your Still cabinet. not getting you there? Okay. Nope. Sorry, Rodney. Sorry, man. But the culture itself at the end of the day isn't the slogans that you put up on the wall. It's how you treat people, right? Sure. It's what do you say is important? How do you treat your customers? How do you treat your employees? Who gets promoted? Who gets rewarded? That's how people think and, and experience the culture of your organization. In our research, what we found is uh, there's about 25% of executives that actually tell us that culture is like their number one concern about why they're pushing people back into the office. But if you give people flexibility they're 57% more likely to say their company's culture has improved over the past two years. Mm. And flexibility, more than executive narrative, more than what's our purpose, more than compensation systems, is the number one driver of that improvement. So it turns out giving people flexibility to do their work when and when they're at, at their best, showing them that trust, focusing on outcomes, yeah. kind of builds a better culture. Yeah. What do you think? I hate it. <laughs> uh, no, look, I think it's a I think it's all of a piece, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's all it's all feels like a similar thread, um, which is we're organizing our way of working around the preference of a small group and around tradition. Yeah. And to me, the idea of like, you know, work in a coffee shop, work in a cave, work in an office. Well, what are you doing for work? Yep. Because maybe if you're an author, being in a cave would be really good for you. And maybe if you're in marketing, sitting in your customer's office would be really good for you. And maybe yeah. if you're a salesperson, yep. going to an event like this would be really good for you. I don't know your life. I'm just saying the narrative is about the rule, not about the work. And that's the part of it that I find really confounding. And when I talk to leadership teams who are wrestling with this and have been wrestling with it for three years, uh -huh. and I'm like, napkin math. How much is the hybrid conversation costing you in executive team hours? It's millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you're laying people off at the same time as you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in executive compensation debating whether we're in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays or not. That's so Sus. nuts. <laughs> that's so nuts to me. That's that's bananas. So so I'm like, you know, like with everything else, it's like put the decision close to the work design yeah. the work experience for the work that needs to be done and let the people who have to do the work make the decision about it within reason uh -huh. yeah. is yep. is my is my hottest take way too Lovely. rational um <laughs> way too rational for this life I, I i guess i object to the premise right out of the gate let's do that because i we do this with brand and we do it with culture where we say the word like it's a thing we get to choose to do or not do yeah, yeah. so can yeah. you build culture you're always building culture. Yeah, You're always happening. building brand. You're yep. always establishing how things are. And you can have a remote culture. You can have a hybrid culture. You can have an in-person culture. And to your point, it should match whatever the heck it is that you're doing. Right. Yeah. But like, it's already there. The question isn't, can you build culture remotely? It's what kind of culture are you building remotely? Yeah. One of distrust, one of eight hours of Zoom a day, one of no asynchrony, one of, you know, people are always trying to blend work and life and can't get it right. Or have you built one where it's like, oh, yeah, we, we meet these times. We don't these times. We're totally flexible to your point. And, and then as a result, the culture feels the way we want it to feel. So it's like 
you're doing it no matter what. You're just doing it bad. Yeah. yeah. And and stop doing it so badly. Yeah. It also, I want to just say for people who never listened to our show and definitely <laughs> don't plan to after this, um, there is one thing that um, that that just like brought up for me, which is anytime you're in a company and there are cycles and cycles and cycles to like figure it out like this, like yeah. the hybrid work thing. You can't because there isn't one right answer. Right. Yeah. And if if I just feel like if particularly leaders and managers could just understand that more digging, yeah. more meetings, more if then, more SWAT teams, they're not going to get to the right answer because there isn't one right answer. There's only experimentation and learning yeah. and spreading what works and shedding what doesn't. And that's the whole name of the game. And I just feel like Instead, they do the opposite, which is like, wow, well, this is really hard. We should bring in like six do more, more people. <laughs> yeah. Do more. Like maybe yeah. let's get maybe let's get into a room together and really like, you know, game it out. And I'm maybe like, McKinsey do the knows. Opposite of oh, that. Like, yeah. Whatever you're about to do, but don't do it. But to your point, Rodney, that's a narrative violation of Taylorism. Yeah. The idea that there isn't one best right, right. way right. is like, well, that's right. That's not in the management playbook. Right. So they it's like we haven't allowed ourselves that humility right. to be like, there isn't a right way. There's going to be trade-offs. Let's just pick the ones that match our flavor. Yeah. Like, yeah. what kind of what kind of cake do you want to bake? Yeah, we can't like, figure the, it out. What's the best right cake? And some percentage of people are going to hate it no matter yeah. what they do. Yeah, and that, then they don't work here anymore eventually. That's how it goes. And that's how it works. The um, the one way that, that I've seen teams actually work this out is keeping the high-level conversation about principles. Yeah. Can we get aligned around the principles, right? Yeah. That, we're, no, that, that we matter can't. to us. And then can we put, gar- yeah, we may not get there. <laughs> you should at least try. It. Let's attempt. Let's right? endeavor. Pull them together and make the executives themselves talk about it. Not how many days a week, right. but, you know, what are the core principles that we think are true? And what are the guardrails? What are the extremes that we allow on either side of this? And then let people operate within that in the way that they need to. Well, principled, uh, principled org design is a great place to draw Love things it. to a close <laughs> on an episode of Brave New Work. So I'm going to shut it down. We really want to say thanks to Slack and everyone here for hosting us at South by Southwest. This was really fun. I, we've never done the live thing. And, it, you know. Would we'll do again? I like the feedback. What's the NPS? I like this? the feedback. NPS 9. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Somebody invite real, us somewhere. Real, somebody invite <laughs> us that's, somewhere. That's your score. Not We got a 9 on an NPS scale. That's right. Which that's right. I hope not. Yeah. That would be bad. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for talking to us. Friend of the pod, yeah. Ryan. Second, second Third? Time? Third? Second time. Second time. Second time. Second, second, right. uh, we love a repeat guest. Thanks for doing this with Thanks us. Thanks for having me. It was Appreciate a real it, joy. Um, and for all of you, if you don't listen to our show and you didn't hate this, please find us wherever you listen to podcasts. It's called Brave New Work, and we would love to have you. There you have it. Thanks, all. Thanks, As always, go change something. <laughs> <laughs>